Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. Will you all join me for the scripture reading? It's coming from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. We carry our questions and doubts with us wherever we go. We walk through our everyday lives, sometimes recognizing the weight on our shoulders, or at times forgetting that we're hauling them, yet they're right behind our every step, always with us. Truly thinking about what it would mean to unpack all of the questions we have about who God is, or even if God exists, can leave us feeling lost. Life scenery hasn't changed, yet we feel like we're wandering through a wilderness with no exit in sight. The wilderness feels completely foreign, a terrain we are ill-equipped to navigate. We look at the wilderness that surrounds us and realize we can journey in any direction, and the truth is, we have no idea where we will end up. But what if our wandering became wondering? What if we were propelled by wonder through the wilderness seasons of life? Wonder that pushes us to even deeper questions and away from pat answers. What if wonder, rather than certainty, is the point of the journey? What if we allowed the skeptic deep within us to engage our questions and not to avoid them? What if we could shed our cynicism and become curious seekers? What if curiosity pushed us deeper into a faith we can actually trust in, rather than further from a God we think we can contain? 
What if leaning into our questions and even doubts didn't lead to the end of our faith, but could actually save it? We are created to be curious, to wonder, to discover, to question, and yes, to doubt. Curiosity is a key part of what it means to be human. We each get to choose whether to embrace curiosity or ignore and suppress it. What if we chose to stay curious? So that question, what if we chose to stay curious, has been like moving around in my heart for a long time. So much so that as a very extroverted person, I sat in a room and wrote a whole book about it, which makes that book a miracle, like an actual miracle, because I'm very extroverted and I love people. And you guys, I love Nathan and Stephanie, and it is so amazing that they're moving back to Minneapolis, but I am with all of you because what does it mean that they left as soon as I got here? Like, what is that saying? Huh? What's with that? So I'm with you today, and I'm just sad. I'm sad they're in Minneapolis because they're supposed to be in Brooklyn, That's right. right? And then next week when I see them back in Minneapolis, the tables will turn and we'll go back to that. But you guys, honestly, I have been praying for Hope Brooklyn before you were Hope Brooklyn. I've been getting those emails every month from Nathan and Stephanie, obviously to see their cute kid and all that kind of stuff. But I have been praying for you all when you all were just a twinkle in Russ and Nathan's eye, okay? When people were just starting to pray and say, what would it look like for some people to come and try to figure out this Jesus guy in this part of New York City? And I have prayed for you. And so when I say to you, I love you, I mean that. Because I don't know about you, but if you commit to praying for some people, you start to love them, even if you don't know their names or their faces. So hi, I'm Stephanie. I love you. Jesus. It's great to see you in actual real life. I really have been praying for you. So uh, yeah, I, my name is Stephanie, church planter. I get what you guys are doing. We worship in a school in Minneapolis. Our church just turned 11. Um, so I, yes, thank you. I started the church when I was 12, obviously. So no, but I have always been a curious kid. Maybe some of you guys were that kid, the kid that asked why all the time and got their parents just to, their brains are going to explode. Some of you are like, no, that's my kid I have now. Just always asking why. Uh, I mean, that was me. I was totally that kid. I've always been a curious kid. I think I'm still a curious kid, even though I'm basically middle-aged now. And if you're looking and thinking, you don't look middle-aged, thank you. <laughs> However, my husband just said he thinks middle-aged is when you double your age and it wouldn't be a total tragedy if you died. Okay, so I'm right about there. And some of you are too, and some of you are offended now. So sorry about that. We just became friends. But I'm still a curious kid. But I was also not just a curious kid, I had other issues. Like the time when I got kicked out of Sunday school because I told my Sunday school teacher that he was wrong about something. And he was, I still maintain that he did not have, he was not sharing accurate information, okay? I got kicked out of Sunday school. And I was that kid who was just like, what are we doing here when they sat me down in front of a TV screen and were like, here, this cucumber and tomato will explain theology to you. I was like, what are we doing? Any other VeggieTales people? Okay, okay, so somebody's like, what is she talking about? They thought some of us should learn about the biggest questions in the world from a computer, a, a little computer animated cucumber and tomato, okay? They were trying to tell us these big questions. So I was that kid that was like, what are we doing here? Why does this doesn't make sense? So I've been a little bit of a problem child, and so I'm, I'm working on it, I'm working on it. But if I were to also, so it makes sense that I wrote a book called Stay Curious. But since we're now good friends, I do also want to admit that it, it didn't just stay with curiosity. It wasn't just the curious kid that was pushing the buttons of the adult. 
It got even farther than that, where I would, if I'm being honest with you, much of my life, the curiosity drifted into maybe what I would call skepticism. And then that skepticism turned a little sour and turned into cynicism. And so instead of staying curious, I was staying cynical. And I learned now that even though I find myself back there sometimes, and maybe some of you resonate with me, uh, cynicism is not something that can actually coexist very well with curiosity. Cynicism is not something that can actually be present when you're really open to the, the, the questions that can actually blow your mind in the most profound ways. Because cynicism, I, I would suggest, is something that actually like, shrinks you back a little bit. Curiosity, questions, I think questions are generative. They open up more questions and they expand your mind. They maybe even expand your heart. But the thing about cynicism is that it's something that actually kind of uh, draws you in smaller almost because you're coming into the space assuming that there's not something else to be found. You following me on that? It, it almost causes you to be somebody who, who comes into a space and wants to, I, I think for me, I'm just going to share for me, when my, my cynicism is taking over my life, what I think is happening is I'm coming into the room and what I'm trying to look like is brave, right? Like I've got the right answers. I know what's going on. You guys don't get it. But what I'm actually feeling is anxious, I'm actually feeling scared. I'm scared that I don't have the right answers. I'm scared that I'm going to look dumb. I'm scared to, to, that people are going to think that it's stupid that I follow Jesus. I, I'm afraid that people are going to think, whatever, all this stuff. Cynicism is not the brave face that I want it to be when I'm wrapped up in a cynical season of my life. And so for me, the pursuit of curiosity for me is actually to keep me out of cynicism. For some of you, maybe the pursuit of curiosity would be to get out of apathy, Maybe the pursuit of curiosity is to actually be willing to still come to this room with these people and say, is there something here? Because I'm not feeling it. It's not feeling real to me. And wherever you're at today, man, you are among friends. I just want you to know, I hope I'm not the only one here who wrestles with the cynicism. I, I, I think I'm probably not. And if you're not there now, somebody probably pretty close to you is. So I'm just saying today, as we dig into some of this together, Let's be honest about the fact that it's sometimes anxiety and fear that's actually driving some of this stuff. And some of our deepest questions in life, while they might be really profound, if they're rooted in anxiety, like what's going on there? And I think, I think there's a big promise for us today. And this is the promise I want to suggest to you, that Jesus can handle our questions. Everyone. Jesus can handle every question. If some of you were like, I don't know, there's this one question I have. Yes, that one. Okay. He can handle all of them. Jesus is not intimidated. Jesus is not anxious. I know that seems weird to say, but let's actually believe it. What if we chose to believe that Jesus is not anxious about our questions? There's this guy in the Gospels who we read earlier uh, moving through the book of John with you guys, which is so cool because I talk about this guy in the book a little bit. His name's Nicodemus. Some of you have heard his story, but if it's new to you, let me just frame who this guy is that's in John 3. He is a, um, a, a religious leader. He is a guy who is called a teacher of the law, the, a Pharisee, different titles, basically to mean that he is a part of the Jewish ruling council, they would call it. These are the people where their actual job is to make sure that people are getting it right. This is his job description. He's the holder of what is right to make sure that the people who are wrong are, are understanding what is right when it comes to the Jewish laws, when it comes to understanding what God wants. And, and so he's this important member of society. They were looked upon very highly. It was, he was an important person, very religious guy. And, and the Pharisees typically had like huge portions of the Old Testament memorized. So people just looked at these people and they were like, well, they're the ones who know. They know the do's and the don'ts. They know the this and the that. They know all the things. 
But here's this encounter with Nicodemus where we learn a little bit more about him. Because even though he's such a devout guy, he's super religious, his whole life probably. He probably was on the path to being somebody like this since he was a little boy. And here he is and he's bringing some questions to Jesus. And as he asks these questions of Jesus, he seems pretty, like Jesus kind of answers him, but he's like not satisfied with the questions, the answers that Jesus gives. And so he asks more questions. And there's even this moment, we'll read it again, look for the moment where it almost feels like he, he corrects Jesus. <laughs> like, listen, guy, you're wrong, actually. It's like little Steph in Sunday school. Like, no, 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 you're not right. So, okay, so Nicodemus, really well-educated guy. He knows a lot of stuff. He's really respected in his community. He's got the religious thing figured out, but he's still got a lot of questions. And he's a little bit cynical about the answers that he gets. And he's somebody who kind of pushes back. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Does it sound like you or someone you know? Well, if it does, it sound like someone you know. Now it is, because this is just like me. I'm totally this person. This is so many of us. We're sitting in the room, most of us, we're in the top 10% or higher of people who are most educated in the world. So we know a lot of stuff. Sometimes we don't even know what to do with all the stuff we know, right? So we start tweeting about it or something because it's like, I got to do something with this information. I got to put it somewhere. We, we genuinely, for the most part, want to be respected in our community. That's not a bad thing to want to be respected. And not all of us, but I bet there's other people in the room where we've been doing this religious thing for a long time. But we've got a lot of questions. And some of them are really deep ones. And sometimes we can err on the side of the cynics. But we don't accept pat answers, right? I know some of you are with me. We don't accept pat answers. We don't want to be people who just accept things that seem like they could come out of a story rhyme book. So I want to suggest that we can understand this guy, this Nicodemus guy. So I'm going to read the story again, but what I want you to do is imagine with me the actual scene. So this encounter that Nicodemus has with Jesus, it's, it's after dark, okay? So it's night. It's nighttime. And Jesus is probably either sitting on a rooftop or in some sort of area that was a gathering area, a public gathering area. This was during a festival that was happening in Jerusalem at this time. And this is just following an event that some of you might be familiar with where Jesus is turning over tables in the temple. Okay, so this has just happened, and this means that Jesus is probably the talk of the festival at this point. All right, everybody comes in. We're going to do what we do every year. I heard this Jesus guy lost his crap in the temple and started flipping out, literally flipping things over. Okay, so there's people talking about this. And so most likely Jesus, imagine this, he's sitting probably by a fire because it was very chilly in the evening at this time in Jerusalem. And so there's like a, a campfire and he's probably sitting around this. And uh, so imagine that, imagine a campfire, the air is kind of chilly, the smell of the campfire, and there's people having muffled conversations all over. And then this is what we're experiencing when the story happens. All right, so imagine this. There's a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish, Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God because no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Obviously ignoring the flipping the, temp, the tables in the temple moment right here, but the other signs. Obviously, you would, must be from God. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. You, I mean, you can see the little bit of cynicism in there, right? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. 
Because flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And you should not be surprised. You, Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, how can this be? <laughs> like, this doesn't make sense. He says, you are Israel's teacher. I love this little confrontation. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. So then how will you believe when I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except for the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So we are listening to this back and forth of Nicodemus. Here's something interesting. Most scholars would say that they believe that this conversation probably went on a lot longer than what we have documented here. This could have been hours. You know, they're, they're by the campfire. It's the, it's the nighttime. There's no place that they need to be. Most likely this conversation went on a lot longer. This is a summary of the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. So we've got this religious guy and he doesn't go to the temple with his questions. He doesn't go to the building that's supposed to represent all the right answers. Isn't that interesting? He sneaks out in the middle of the night, probably so no one would see him hanging out with the guy that just flipped out in the temple, right? And he brings his questions to Jesus. So here's, here's a thought for all of us. I wonder if sometimes we need to sneak out in the middle of the night or, or in the evening or sometime when we maybe would be doing something else. And in that time is when we bring our deepest questions to Jesus. What would that be like for you? Because doesn't the nighttime, doesn't the evening, doesn't it have a way of letting your guard down a little bit? All those things that seem so obvious in the day, all of a sudden you're just wondering about some stuff. And I wonder if we were to go to a space maybe that we're not used to and see if we can find Jesus there. I mean, the dark of the night causes us to turn to many things for answers, doesn't it? But what if we turn towards Jesus? There's this place that overlooks uh, 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 the city in my part of Minneapolis, and I love to go up on this hill, and I don't even do it that often, but when I do, there's just this sense like there's just something different there. And it's a place where I go and sometimes bring these questions to Jesus that I have about my life, about, about him, about, about God, about scripture, about anything. It's this spot for me that I often go to in the night, and I can see the city lights across the way. I wonder what that kind of spot might look like for you. This place where you can sneak away. Maybe it's just a place in your, in your apartment with a candle. I don't know. But some place that's just different. Some place that you take your journal to. I don't know. But as we hear this discourse going back and forth, I just wonder about how profound it was that they were there having this conversation in the night at a time that was not set aside for religiosity, but a time where they could actually encounter some depth of questions. Do you notice how Jesus kind of rises to the intellectual prowess that Nicodemus would possess? He, he doesn't come back with simple answers with this guy. Jesus is the best at contextualizing to who he's talking to. We can learn so much from him. And so he's talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is like, well, I don't think this makes sense. And Jesus is like, how about this? You know, like he's just going with him on that. And I love that about Jesus. Jesus doesn't give any pat answers. And Nicodemus is clearly needing to wrap his mind around this metaphor and the language that Jesus is giving him, doesn't he? And I love that challenge in verse 10. You are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? 
And I think that could seem rude, right? It could seem like Jesus is being a little bit rude to Nicodemus. Although we're out here on the East Coast, I think the definition of rude in the Midwest is a little bit different. Um, but in, you know, we're, we're, we always say there's Minnesota nice. So if you're any, I know there's a couple other Minnesotans. It's actually Minnesota passive aggressive. It's not that nice. So I actually appreciate the direct nature out here. And so I think here you could say, oh man, he's, that's kind of a rude thing to say to Nicodemus. But honestly, I think that Jesus knows that that's exactly what would cause Nicodemus to rise to the occasion. Hey, you're Israel's teacher. That is who you say you are. That is the identity you've got wrapped all over you. Don't you understand? And I think Nicodemus is like, all right, let me, I want to understand. I think he knew that about him. I think Jesus interacts with some of us like that, pushing us, because he knows that we don't want to settle. We want to stay curious and not get stuck in apathy. And I notice how Jesus is not intimidated by Nicodemus' questions. You see that? No one in this guy's role would sneak out to find a guy who flipped the temple like flipped tables in the temple. Like nobody would go find that guy unless he had some questions he really had burning in him. Right, that would be kind of a risky thing to do, like even vocationally. So clearly there's some maybe emotional anxiety that Nicodemus is facing. I don't know. Intellectual anxiety? Oh, totally. You can totally see he's got intellectual anxiety at the very least. And I know most of us can relate to either emotional anxiety or intellectual anxiety or both at some time in our life. Maybe not right this time now. But Jesus isn't anxious about our anxiety. Jesus is not anxious about whatever it is that Nicodemus is bringing to him around that campfire. Jesus can handle his questions. Jesus can handle our questions. And I just want us to actually try to to get our heads around that being true. Because I don't know about you, but I've noticed there's some other humans that can't seem to handle some questions. Not the same as Jesus not being able to handle them, though. What if we just tried to actually trust that for a second, that Jesus can handle our questions? Jesus doesn't get upset when we push back. He stays in the conversation. And so they go on and on, and they continue to have this conversation, and I won't get into all the details because he, he talks about a lot here. It'd be a really interesting Bible study to just go into, like, what is he talking about, Moses doing this and that. He's clearly foreshadowing his death in there, talking about being lifted up. So Jesus is doing some prophecy in the middle of this. But what I think it's clear that he's inviting Nicodemus to do, in the midst of the fact that I think Nick leaves that night without his questions answered, I think we know that. But what I think it's really clear that Jesus is inviting him to do is seen there a few times, and it's in the word believe. And here in that first part of John 3, and then as uh, John goes on to give commentary, the, the word believe or pistuo in Greek is used seven times. Now, this is just like a fun little like nerdy moment about the Bible, but John loves the number seven. He talks about things in sevens all the time. There's only seven miracles or signs of Jesus outlined in the book of John. Uh, he has seven statements where Jesus says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Jesus comes back to life and then he appears to just seven disciples. So why is John doing this? Why does John have the word believe or pistuyo used seven times? Well, people think, scholars think what he's trying to do is do a throwback to the creation narrative, right, where there's seven days. And so there's seven signs of Jesus, and guess what the eighth sign is? The resurrection. Guess what? It's not the eighth sign, is it? It's the first sign. It is new life. It is starting over. It is beginning again. It is an opportunity for people who thought, man, I'm on the eighth day. I'm on the ninth day. Nope, new life. And so here he's using the word pistuyo or believe in our translation here seven times. 
And I think it's so interesting because I think what's trying to be said here to Nicodemus is there can be something new. There can be a, a reset where it's not that everything that you know doesn't matter. It's that everything you know can now mean something so new and so meaningful and so pivotal. And this is this, this imagery of being reborn in the spirit that he's trying to give him. But the most important thing maybe for us to realize today, and no knock on whoever translated the NIV or whatever translation, but the way they translate the word is believe. In English, most of us think of the word as believe as I intellectually agree with this thing, you know? You know, I believe in unicorns or I don't believe in unicorns. Do they exist or not? It's not like you believe that they're anything that are, they're going to happen, but you believe they exist. I don't think unicorns exist, but do you know what I'm saying? It's an intellectual thing. Like, do you think it's real? But that's not maybe the best way for us to understand this word. The best way for us to understand it would be trust. What Jesus is inviting him to do is to put his trust in him, which is different than intellectually agreeing in, right? Because the intellectual agreement kind of puts a period at the end of the sentence when trust opens up a whole new world and says, do you trust me? Dot, dot, dot. Because a whole bunch of things can come after that. And I think for us, this is so key because if you reread it and you use the word trust, it kind of changes the conversation in my mind. I have spoken to you of earthly things. Do you not trust? How then will you trust if I speak of heavenly things? Everyone who trusts may have eternal life in him. Not everyone who gets it right and checks the boxes and understands everything. Everyone who trusts, who chooses to trust in a relationship with me. That's what he's trying to say. Jesus seems to be saying to Nicodemus, none of the answers that you seek will be clear if you don't trust me. None of the answers that you really, really want to find will be clear if you don't trust me and if you don't believe. And I think the key to this type of trust, here's maybe the most important thing today. The key to this type of trust, the kind of trust that seems to transcend intellect, the kind of, of, of trust that supersedes logic, the kind of trust that causes us to be able to rise above the deepest questions that we have in our life and the type of trust that this religious leader would need would mean that he would have to have trust so that he can be completely remade, to be born of the Spirit the way that Jesus says. If we're going to move towards God, if we're going to move towards Jesus, I don't think it means we need to drop our questions at the door. But I do think it means that we will never have the chance to truly find the answers that we seek if we don't trust the person with the answers. Or even be willing to try that out. Try out trusting if this guy is the guy with the answers. To trust him a lot, enough to let him completely remake us, to be reborn this time as a child of the Spirit of God. Is that not the most mystical thing you've ever heard? Like, what does that mean? Isn't that just so mysterious and, and mystical? Isn't that the kind of thing that would make you have to stay curious because you're never going to totally understand what it means that the Spirit of God can remake you from the inside out? No wonder Nicodemus is like, that's a little much for me, guy. Like, that's kind of a lot. Maybe the, the, the deal that we have to have is that if we're going to know that Jesus can handle our questions, are we actually ready for his answers? Because that's kind of an intense one. But I think that's the invitation. And we can see that intellectual Nick, he's got kind of a hard time with that answer. I think some of us do too. I think that's okay. It's kind of a big ask to be completely changed from the inside out, trusting the Spirit of God even though you don't understand it all. I think there are some questions in life that we might never truly feel like we have answered. 
I think that there's a lot of things that we might want to feel sure about our life that we never totally will. But I think the invitation that Jesus has for us and had for Nicodemus is if you trust me, I wonder if you'll be able to hold on to the uncertainty of life in a different way. And maybe you will. I think you will. I know I have found some things that feel like maybe assurance and answers, not certainty, but a sense of peace, a sense of assurance. But that you would stay curious because following this Jesus guy, this being reborn of the spirit thing, opens up a whole new world of what could be for us. There's actually two more times that we see Nicodemus in this story. Let me just mention them briefly. Uh, he shows up again in chapter 7 uh, when the Sanhedrin or the, this group of religious leaders wants to put Jesus in prison. They want to ca capture him. And he actually kind of defends him like, maybe we need to hear him out. Hey, maybe we need to hear the guy out. He's a little nervous. But he's starting to defend him because I think there's this trust that's beginning to build in his life. And then what's so interesting is at just a little bit later, Nicodemus pops into the story again, and this time it's in a very, maybe the most profound way you could possibly imagine. To the very end of the book of John, Jesus had died this horrible death on the cross. Most likely Nicodemus actually saw that happen. Imagine that with me. This guy who you spent talking over the campfire, you watched him be put to death in the cruelest way you could possibly imagine it. And after watching Jesus literally be tortured to death, instead of hiding for fear of being the next one to be punished, Nicodemus is one of two men who take Jesus' body down and they take his bruise and his bloody body and they prepare it for burial. Nicodemus is one of two men that made sure that they would prepare his body even though it made them ceremoniously unclean so they couldn't be around their community in a few, for a few days. And they take the customary clothes and they take very, a very expensive possession that Nicodemus himself had, a mixture of myrrh and aloes, and they, and they took this expensive product that would usually only be for, for kings to be buried with. And they bury and prepare the body of the king of kings, carefully following these Jewish customs, and they lay his body in a tomb. Two humble humans take some linens and they wrap a little infant Jesus and they lay him in a, in a manger. And then here we have, a little over 30 years later, two humble human men wrapping the body of Jesus in linens and laying him in a tomb. So I don't know about you, but it's pretty clear that Nicodemus came to a place where he put his trust in Jesus. And most scholars believe that he did become one of the early leaders of the church where he was maybe even martyred, maybe even killed because he was following Jesus and put so much trust in Jesus. But I want to I wanna say I bet that he died a man that did not have all the answers to his questions. He's a smart guy. But it seems like he answered the most important one. And I bet there were a few others answered along the way. And so what I hope that we can take from this story today is relatively simple. Can we trust Jesus with our questions? What if we chose to bring our questions to Jesus? To know that that might not mean they're all answered, but that we can trust the one who has those questions. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And as we go into this time of worship and then communion, I just, my invitation to all of us is just to say wherever we're at, what do we need to bring to Jesus? What part of our life do we need to try to trust him with again? Maybe you're at that spot where you're wondering for the first time if you can trust him. Maybe you're not ready for that. That's okay. But what would it mean to trust even when you don't intellectually understand it all? To bring the emotional anxiety, the intellectual anxiety to this person of Jesus. 
I want to I suggest that we're not going to find out if we sit still in cynicism. We're not going to find out if we stay captive to apathy. But if we move towards Jesus, if we choose to stay curious, I think that we will realize that Jesus is not intimidated by our questions. But we do have to choose to trust him. We have to choose to trust this guy. Most people who choose to press into questions and doubts, this is the research I found when writing this book, most people who choose to press into the questions, press into the doubts, and not run to cynicism or apathy or anything else, the people who press in end up with a more deep and vibrant faith in their life. So I'm not afraid either of your questions and your doubts. I may be more nervous if you don't have any. Because Jesus said that we are to live life to the full, to have a vibrant faith, a vibrant life with him. And I want you to run after that. So that is actually my prayer for you. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I, I, I do love these people. But you love them so much more. And I pray that it's your love that would compel them to trust you. To trust you even though it doesn't necessarily make sense of everything. To trust you in the midst of the times of joy and the times of sorrow. The times that feel assured and the times that feel confusing and everything in between. Jesus, show them even in these next few minutes the things in their life that they can trust you with. It's in your powerful name that we pray this. Amen. To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Vice at lizvice.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week.